I forced and forced and forced through the military physically and through the firefighting, physical, 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 the body keeps the score. Eventually you realize there's more. You gotta, you gotta get the mind and the breath on board with the body. And so I feel like finally, and I've known this, I'm sure you can, I don't know if you can relate, but I've known forever I need to sit and meditate. <laughs> but it was always like the last thing I was like, I'm not gonna do it. Not today, I'll do it tomorrow. And uh, that's not an option anymore. After Save a Warrior, it's not an option. I know that my lifeline depends on that meditation. Hi, I'm Derek Mills. Welcome to the Glow Podcast. Some of our Glow members who are either in the military, who are first responders, or in various healthcare roles, often write into us to share how Glow helps them support their resilience and cope with incredibly demanding work experiences. They put their lives at risk to serve others. So we wanted to start a series of interviews to learn more about these heroic people, their healing strategies, and their self-care non-negotiables. The first interview in this series was a conversation we posted with U.S. Army veteran Charlie Jordan. And now here's the next one, a conversation with Amber Miskovich, an Air Force medic, firefighter, and paramedic. My friend Robert Sturman is the source of these interviews. Robert is an internationally celebrated artist who has photographed first responders, including Charlie and Amber, and many others. I've done a previous podcast interview with him about his work, and we'll link to that in the show notes. In my interview with Amber, she shares how first responders must put on mental armor to protect themselves from the stresses of their job, and that there is a huge psychological cost to holding on to that armor. And when it's time to remove it, when they leave military service or retire, they can become clinically depressed and some even take their own lives. The first responder journey of healing inspired Amber to start a yoga studio in Ohio where she focuses on teaching first responders yoga and breath work. We discuss her inspiring work along with her life-changing experiences with the Save a Warrior program. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Amber Miskovich. Hi, Amber. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Hi, Derek. It's so awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. So we learned about you through our mutual friend, Robert Sturman. And for those listening, not familiar with Robert, he's an incredible photographer who finds deep meaning and connection in photographing people with rich histories and backgrounds like Amber's, which we'll get into <laughs> here today, <laughs> uh, including first responders and people in the military service. And his photos are so powerful and beautiful. And I encourage you to check out his work and also my podcast conversation with Robert. And we'll link to that in the show notes. Part of how this came to be is we wanted to have a few conversations with first responders and Robert put us in touch with you and a few other wonderful people. So let's start there. How did you meet Robert and how did it come to be that uh, you're carrying him on your back in one of those <laughs> amazing photos that the uh, you guys took together. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really funny is before I ever reached out to Robert, I found this out later. I had actually screenshotted um, one of his photos that he had done of my friend Dan Evans before I'd met Dan or Robert. I had it on my phone, actually, I think from 2014, or maybe it was right when they did the photo shoot. It was a long time ago. And anyway, I had been um, really getting deep into my work post being a firefighter, post being um, I was just about to get out of the military and I was really taking on more service work through yoga with the fire service and military. 
And I just was so intrigued by him and my friend Dan Evans, actually, who I, you know, had been seeing, they had done shoots together. He said, just reach out to him. And so I reached out to him, not having any idea I would actually do a shoot with him, but just thanking him for his work and telling him how much I admired it and how, I mean, I didn't realize how big he was at that point, but I just reached out. And the next thing he knew, he's like, let's do a shoot. And um, I made a trip to New York City, saw a friend I wanted to see, and then went to Kripalu and met him in Massachusetts. Mm, so that's why the background has the beautiful red leaves and the changing of the seasons. Yeah, it was. It looked beautiful. It was freezing. <laughs> it was like 50 <laughs> degrees outside. <laughs> yeah. And there's one carousel that I saw him post with six different photos, and you're wearing different outfits. Can you share with us what those outfits are? Yeah, he's he's just amazing. But I was in some, I would call them civvies, civilian clothes, you know, so just normal yoga clothes as my yoga teacher. And then I um, put on my fire gear, um, which was really fun to do yoga and that. And then also my um, two different military uniforms. So our dress blues that are not super flexible to do yoga poses in, um, but he got me in some. And then also my, what we call ABUs, um, which I feel like you could do any yoga pose in. So yeah, those are a few of the changes. I just remembered, I wanted to mention Dan Nevins. You had mentioned Dan Nevins and we'd worked with him in the past and he's, he's a wonderful human. Yes, he is. I'm so glad you mentioned him. We can also link to him in the show notes. So tell us about your journey. I mean, you have, you, you, you've worn so many hats as I think Robert said in one of those captions. How did this all come to be? Like you, you started off, was it first in the Air Force or as a massage therapist? How did? Well, I think even before all that, so if I were to go back to like my childhood and, and really look at how I got to be where I was, you know, I was born and raised in the country. My dad owned a body shop. And from a very young age, I was working on cars. I was um, put into work at a really young age. I wasn't afraid to get uh, my hands dirty, so to say. And um, I didn't actually enlist into the military until I was 21. So I, my first trade was massage therapy. I didn't love college. I didn't want to take my ACT. I loved science. So I went into massage therapy. And now that I look back, I really think my mom was an amazing woman, but she wasn't real touchy-feely. She wasn't a hugger. And now that I look back, I really truly believe I, I was in the massage therapy trade on purpose for touch. <laughs> and um, I was actually massaging. I didn't listen in the military backtrack. I listened in the military in 2004, I was 21. Um, and after I got back from basic training, I was massaging a firefighter. And he said, you're already a medic. Why aren't you a firefighter? And to be completely honest, I had no idea women were firefighters. I was totally naive to that. And this was a Wednesday that I was massaging him. And by Saturday, I was enrolled in and starting an adult education fire program. No idea about firefighting. I had no idea what I was about to get into. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what led me there. And then, but health and wellness has always been in my forefront, I would say, since I was 17 years old. Um, I've struggled with all kinds of things, eating disorders, alcohol, things that I can get into later. But I realized that, you know, health and wellness was always so deep in my um, being. And so I always, you know, through fire school, I was the person leading fitness. Um, after fire school, I led fire academy fitness. Um, the military, I was the health and wellness manager on top of my medic job. So it kind of carried me through and interweaved me through these careers. And then I always wanted to bring, I, I was not a yoga person, but I always wanted to bring wellness to the fire service. I wanted massage and chiropractic there and all these things. 
And after having my daughter, I um, gained a ton of weight. She's my second child. And I was stressed. She wasn't sleeping. And my friend said, come to yoga. And I was like, I'm not going to yoga. I've got to go run my marathon and lift weights. And uh, I was gaining more weight and I was stressed and I wasn't sleeping. And so I finally went and I realized I felt at home. I realized that I needed it more than I could imagine. I needed it. And I immediately realized that there was a connection that I needed to be in between this for myself and bringing it to these communities that I already worked with. Do you remember that first experience of being in a yoga class? And how did that happen? Oh, yeah. I, I um, was nervous. Um, I remember having a mat that was like from TJ Maxx and this Annie, my first yoga teacher, threw it away and said, no, you're not using that mat. <laughs> and gave me, a, you know, a nice mat. And I just remember like being so uncomfortable, but being so comfortable, mm -hmm. um, being out of place because I had no idea what these poses were. I was actually at a yoga retreat with people that were all very advanced. And what year was this? And this was 2015. Okay. So about 10 years after entering the military. Yeah. Yep. And I'll tell you what I didn't know. You know, I can remember being in a, a mirrored place and there was like 50 people. This is in a class later and everybody's looking at me and I was looking at the mirror and I had no, I was so not connected to what was happening that I was doing the wrong thing. But I also was such a gift because I realized I was so into my mat that I didn't care what anybody saw of me. And so it just started to really click with me that although I'd been forcing so much out of my body physically through these careers and had, I, I really truly put the fitness on top because for a while there, I thought the only way I was going to be accepted in the military or in the fire service was that if my fitness was just there with the men or above it. Mm -hmm. And so this was the first place that I realized my mind and body could be together. Hmm. Is there a connection between those early experiences around touch and, and how you experienced that first class? Yeah, I, my first hospice patient, I used to volunteer for hospice and my first hospice patient was a Tuskegee airman, believe it or not. Hmm. And he, um, had never had touch in his life. He'd never had any family, no, no, never got married, never had kids. The only thing this man possessed truly was his Cadillac. And I can remember, you know, hospice comes in and you get all this support. So I'm massaging. He just wanted his forearms massaged. But what I found after too long is the touch was healing to him, but really the connection and someone witnessing him was really where it was at. And so now that I really look back, I'm 39 years old. I look back at my life since the time I was, you know, a kid and I see that every single thing that I've done has led me to exactly where I'm at. And now I'm really speaking a lot and, and teaching people just that this mind body connection, our breath and taking care of ourselves is truly where we're going to be able to heal ourselves and others. Um, and I realized that all those people were teaching me that from, from early on. Yeah. It's so interesting how all the pieces though, they may not make sense at the time, if one is lucky, they all kind of come together in a confluence and, and make sense, you know, as, as, as you find the thing or the things to which, um, we apply ourselves, uh, you know, that, that in this particular instance, you know, is in service of something larger than yourself. Like I, I personally have experienced that's when the magic happens. And so I resonate strongly with that. So you finished your degree in massage therapy in 2003, you entered the military in 2004 became a medic, then a firefighter in 2007, search and rescue with the Army and Homeland Response Force 
around 2006 to 2008. That's a lot of learning and change in that amount of time. Can you speak to the inspiration behind those transitions? And is there a theme, a hook, or a thread for you that links all of them? Um, I think... I think it snowballed. So leaving the fire service full time was the biggest piece of my ego that was hardest to let go because it was such a hard career to transition into. Once I let go of the firefighting full time, I stayed part time for a while. And once my ego was set aside and I started realizing that, hey, this probably is your calling to teach these people how to take care of themselves. Um, it all snowballed from there. I left the, the military two years later. Um, and actually, it was three years later, I left the military. And I left at 15 years, which is people are like, why would you do that? You know, you could have been at 20 and retired. And I knew in my heart that my, what I was up to and helping people in this other mission fulfilled me and them even more. And I could be more useful helping people. So I, I don't just teach them yoga. I do teach them yoga, but I also teach them with balls, how to massage themselves. So I teach them self-care with massage because injuries, especially in the fire service are, you know, workers comp guys being off work is, is crazy high. So I do that. And then I do IRS yoga nidra and between those three pieces and what I see and just even the breath work on their bottles, they can last longer in a fire. I started to see it. I feel like there's, there's so many layers that just took me to this, but I realize now again, it's, I don't really think there's ever a finishing point if that makes sense. Cause now I'm seeing myself speaking places and wherever I'm at is exactly where I'm supposed to be. But with these people specifically, if you want to like the hook of it was just really seeing it click with another firefighter that probably had a big ego. Mm. And there's a reason why these people have egos. They wouldn't be able to do the jobs they do if they didn't, but to see someone who maybe perhaps um, is that type A personality, works four jobs, doesn't sleep, workaholics really, right? We can talk so much about alcohol and food and drugs, but I see a lot of these first responders, their addiction is work. And so if I can bring, and specifically with firefighters and blast, I bring this tool on the job when they're on duty. So if I can give them one hour of peace in their 24 hour shift, um, which I see at the end, they might not wanna show up. Some of them are forced, some of them are not. They still might not want to show up, but by the end, the relief that I see in them is it's monumental, even if they can't say it, <laughs> even <laughs> if they can't say, wow, that was awesome. I can see it. I can feel it. And I've really learned to trust my intuition and put aside the chatter of my ego of, does this look hippy dippy? Does that make sense? And it's, it's just awesome. Someone said to me once, there's only an inch between a, a hillbilly and a hippie. <laughs> <laughs> and I just loved that because, and I, I don't want to categorize or judge anyone, but you know, it's so we're all the same and deep down, we all have the same needs, no matter what our job or title or call ourselves. Right. I don't know if that helps you, but yeah, for sure. I want to ask you about that inch okay. separation, but <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, why don't we, why don't we go there? And then I'll, I'll ask you the question that I had before that, uh, I love that saying, what do you think that inch gap can sometimes, I would imagine to some people seem quite large and to others quite small like for, for those who may see it as a pretty large gap. Like, why do you think that is? Gosh, I could say it's exactly what the world, what's happening in our world right now. It's because we're isolated from that person or we don't, we're not next to them. So when they get together, I think that inch dwindles because you realize this person has all the same things I have. 
they're just packaged differently. And it's, I think, the whole thing with our world and all the ways we're divided right now. We're really not that divided. I think it's just there's so much that's showing us that we are. Um, so it's funny that you say that because it's that's exactly how I feel about it. When I and I've literally seen a hillbilly and a hippie together, and after they've been together for a little bit, and, and they call themselves the hillbilly and the hippie. Hippie. I'm not labeling them. Um, before I know it, they're talking about all the same concoctions that they have, <laughs> all the same <laughs> things that they do, and it's all the same. It's just from the outside, the title's different, which is there's no titles are crap in my opinion, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. The world just needs so much more of that. That's, yeah. you know, when I would first learn the word yoga in college in a philosophy class back in the late nineties, that's what attracted me to this work is that, uh, to engage in this process that you're referring to and that you teach, you know, ultimately is, um, to do many things, but one of which I think, uh, as an output is to decrease the the gap of that inch that people feel that separates us. You mentioned that many of the people that you're working with are addicted to their work. Do you see that as central to your job, quote unquote, is to help them see the extent to which they're addicted to their work? I don't think I'll directly say that to them, but yes, I think that it shows once they can finally rest, especially in that last, even if it's just the last five minutes of I rest or yoga nidra or the body scan I'm taking them through, um, even if it's that last five minutes where they usually can't sit in silence, they usually can't sit without needing to see what's next. And I'll see them get up and say, wow, I, I, th I think I may have fallen asleep or I don't know what just happened or um, I really see that they're accepting the fact that it's okay to rest and shut off for a moment, especially when they're on duty and you're, you're always pumping a little bit of adrenaline because the tone can go off at any time. Um, so that's, it's also just giving them so much of in the moment now, right? That's the only thing we have control over. And they're really good at that when they're on calls, right? They're amazing when they're on a run, they're honed in on whatever their job is. I think it's when they're off a run and there's all these other things happening that it's hard to hone in and yoga teaches us so much that right. The only thing we have control over is this moment, our thoughts and our actions, not the past, the future, or anything else around it. So I do see that coming through. Um, I think that over time it's starting to show too, because, you know, if you don't take care of your body, where are you going to live? That's like one of my favorite sayings ever. And what I see specifically with firefighters, cause that's why I work with the most day in and day out is the injuries and the issues that they have in their tissues and how it just grows and grows and grows and they're broken. And, you know, if, I don't know if you've read the book, the body keeps the score, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, the body keeps the score and it's always scoring us and, and telling us, Hey, here's, here's what I need. And um, so I think more than anything too, I'm really letting them see that there's ways they can take care of themselves right now. It doesn't have to wait until retirement because sadly um, first responders on average, only live five years past retirement. Yeah, that's that's really sad. That's shocking and sad. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the body keeps the score, Doctor Bessel van der Kolk, if I'm saying it correctly. Is there anything specific from that book in terms of trauma and how it's stored in the body and and how you bring that to your work? I think it's. I can't like I have listened to the audiobook and read the book. And to be honest, I think for me, 
it confirmed so much, right? It just confirmed what I already, my intuition already knew. But I think specifically just having awareness. I think just that book alone, because people, I, I find people that maybe would never believe that the stuff is stored in your body when they've read that book, because I have it gifted to me, I've gifted it to others. They realize that, of course, why wouldn't it be in storing? And from a, a medical perspective, whether you're a doctor, or a firefighter, or a paramedic, you know, we put people on heart monitors all the time, right? And you see the electrical activity of somebody's heart. And that's a no-brainer. They're out of rhythm. That doesn't look right. And so when people think energy work is so woo-woo or they think yoga is so woo-woo, I think, what do you think that is? That's just the electric. That's a picture of the electric energy in your heart. Why is it any different, right, when we're talking about yoga and energy? It's all right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been a while since I looked at it. I think there's that one chapter on uh, yoga specifically. He talks about heart rate variability and how I think people who've experienced trauma and, uh, and who are experiencing PTSD have a pretty significant out of sync HRV and breathing pattern. If I recall correctly, I could have that wrong, but yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like that's where I feel like with firefighters, especially, and I'm talking to them a lot, veterans too, where I can really connect with them is just just taking their couple of deep breaths. So just having them hold a hand over their heart and belly, even though they might not want to do that and think it's weird at first, just, you can feel the difference, right? You can feel when you just stop, close your eyes, take three deep breaths, the change in your body immediately. You know, our exhale is fast, the fastest way to our nervous system. It's, it's the fastest way to calm our nervous system down. And I, I didn't believe that at first. I'm like, no, a drug would be faster, but it's not, it's our exhale. Mm -hmm. And so when you experience people who might think, this breath work or yoga is maybe kind of out there or to use a word you used earlier, like hippie. How do you, how do you work through that? How do you navigate that and, and invite someone into what it is that, that you teach? Well, I'm pretty sarcastic and I like to get a little mouthy with them because I have been <laughs> on the job with them. And so I, I will get real serious and be like, you rely on your breath, right? our lungs, and I'll tell them our lungs are the only organ that we have control over. And if we stop breathing, our brain says, hey, dummy, wake up, unless there's something further going on. So we don't have that control over our heart. We don't have that control over any other organ in our body. And these are smart people. There are people that work with the human body all the time. And so when you start to click those things together, like, oh, I actually have power to use this muscle, just like I have power to use this muscle of lifting weights. Um, you know, our bicep and our, our diaphragm. And to be honest, I was a paramedic. I didn't even know that our diaphragm takes up the bottom six ribs, but just actually having them put their hands on their bottom six ribs and say, this is that muscle. Because on average, we only use 10% of our lung capacity and people are shocked by that. And I was too. But if you let these people know that if you keep working this, especially the firefighters, that their bottle, when they're in a fire is going to last longer, their adrenaline is going to be lower, their heart rate's going to be lower. They're pretty sold. And the yoga piece of it, you know, the, the moving the body, it's, it just goes hand in hand. I, and everybody stretches at some point in their life. So if you can tell them you're already doing yoga in some way, this is just giving you way better results when you connect your breath, right? Way better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. You're already doing yoga in some way. How do you typically define yoga? Like if someone asks you what it is? Movement with breath. I mean, really, but, and although I know it doesn't have to be movement, but 
you know, one of my teachers is Baron Baptiste and, and he'll always say like, you can be in the flow anywhere, right? You can be in the flow of sitting in meditation, you can be in the flow of movement. So I think movement of, as in flow, um, flow of life, you're moving all the time. You have to walk and breathe anyways. Why not connect a little bit of intention behind it and get a bigger bang for your buck? Nice. I want to go back to firefighting because of the transition to yoga teacher. You mentioned earlier that leaving the fire service full-time was hard on your ego, partly because it was such a hard career to transition into. Was it also a hard transition out of because of that? Um, you know, I worked really hard. I was the only female in my um, academy. I worked really, really hard. I got the Instructor Achievement Award, not because I was awesome, <laughs> but just because I put a lot of um, sweat and tears into it. I worked, I volunteered with Columbus Fire with a one station for two years straight, working almost 24 on, 48 off for two years straight, not getting paid, just volunteering to get my experience. And it takes a long time to get hired around here. Um, you have to do a pretty lengthy testi testing process. So it took about another two years to get hired. And once I finally got hired, you know, there's just this, it's my career, I'm here. My husband was deploying. I didn't mention all this that I, you know, my husband was in the military too. He served 22 years and six tours. Mm -hmm. So he was about to deploy. Um, we had one kid already. We wanted to have another one. I'm doing the massage. I'm still in the National Guard. I'm a full-time firefighter plus working a part-time job. My husband's National Guard and runs his own business. And we just realized we have way too many things going on. Um, and so to leave, I felt like I was letting everybody that I worked with down. You know, they, I, when I had my son, I didn't have enough time um, to take off. And I only took off five and a half weeks after I gave birth. But a lot of guys gave me time. Like they'd give me 24 hours of their time so I could be off on my maternity leave. And it was just really hard to say, hey, I'm leaving you all. <laughs> mm. But I also knew in my heart that that is what I had to do for my family. So I, my husband needed help with his business. He was, um, he really needed that. And so, and I knew my kids needed me. So leaving full time, just, it was just a big, big chunk on my ego. And it took, and at that time, now if I were to look back now, I'd say, what the heck was wrong with you, Amber? It was no big deal. But at the time it was just, it was like, I was losing a part of my identity. And I hear this all the time with people that leave active duty and with people that, um, you know, leave their jobs. And I do think that has a big piece to do with that five-year uh, mortality rate for people that retire from first responder, it's because it's such a piece of their identity. You know, firefighters live a third of their life with their workers. So brothers and sisters. So that's what it really, it just, it was a part of my identity at the time. And although I still feel very connected to the community, I felt like it was ripped away from me at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you spend so much time wrapping up your identity or having your identity associated with what creates a sense of self-worth or adequacy uh, coupled with the fact that that's like a, an extended family. I can only imagine how painful that must be to make that transition and hard it must be to make that transition. Yeah. Given that you've been through it, I can imagine you'd be better able to help and connect in more effective ways than if you hadn't had your experiences. In your work, are you finding yourself helping others go through similar transitions? Uh, yes and no. I think something I've recently been doing a lot at the fire departments is I've been having the guys do, and, and females, 
do a lot of partner stretching on each other. So they're doing a lot of their own assisting through yoga poses. And what I'm seeing there is number one, you know, if they're weird about touching each other, which typically they're not, I'm pretty, pretty blown away to be honest, because I used to teach a lot of couples massage and I see these guys taking better care of each other than I've seen couples. <laughs> <laughs> and though I see it's really drop, it's making them vulnerable. It's because a lot of these, as you probably know, when you're adjusting in yoga poses, you're close and it's uncomfortable. And, but also these guys are, and females are already very close to each other. Anyways, they eat, sleep and, you know, stay in the same places, but this has dropped into a whole new thing. And I think being on your mat, taking some deep breaths, you know how it is you're grounding into yourself. I think you already are starting to heal that bridge. Cause I didn't have that right. When I was leaving the fire service, I didn't have yoga yet. I mean, I had it a little bit, but not like I do now. And so I think if I would have even had more of that, that connection to myself, I would have maybe felt a little better, but two things, getting these individuals working with each other and also on their mat alone, I think it's already bridging them, if that makes sense to, to that. And to know that this is a piece of my identity. It's a huge piece of, of who you relate to. And there's so much more than that. And you're always connected. I look back now, I'm in all these fire departments all around where I worked, and I see all these people that I worked with at one time, and it's really neat because I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm there to help them heal themselves, not necessarily there on a fire with them. Yeah, the the fact that five years after most people retire or leave the military, you know, or first responders die either by suicide or heart attack. That's pretty sad. It's it's very sad. Mm-hmm. And here are people who, like yourself, while people like me are, uh, not that I've ever been in this experience, but if I were in a burning building, I'd be running out with my family or or trying to. An ideal version of me is trying to save whoever is maybe near me, uh, while you're running in. And when we see this on TV, like one of the things I I see is particularly firefighters, I think of all the fumes that you're breathing in and you know, the other ways in which saving our lives really takes a toll and, and often a, a lethal toll on your bodies. And so thank you to all the first responders and, and to you for doing that work. Yeah. Well, thanks. Don't thank me, but I, I, I agree. And I think 9-11 is such a picture of that, right? It's just like mm-hmm. the can- cancers and everything that's happened from there. And I think, you know, and I I know we're going to talk a little bit about Save a Warrior, but I think what I'm starting to see more than anything is there's there's certain people that go into these career fields, right? And it goes so much deeper. I think, you know, we talk so much about PTS and PTSD about on, on runs or what we've seen in experiences. But many times I feel like it's, it's way deeper than that. It happened way before that. And I have teenagers come to my yoga classes all the time. And I think I just always acknowledge them or their parents, whoever's there, even if I have 11 year old in my class. And I say, you don't know how vital these tools might be to you one day. And it's such a gift that you're doing it now because we never know where we're going to be. You know, I didn't find yoga till I was in my thirties. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had it so much younger? Yes, that would be awesome. I often wonder how my life would have flowed differently had I been immersed in some of these practices at an earlier age. So 
I've never been in the military, although I was in civil air patrol for a number of years uh, in my uh, youth. Nice. So I have nice. some experience uh, with, with <laughs> <laughs> very limited. Nice. Uh, I was a part of two encampments, however. Uh, I think it was in, on an army base in New, uh, somewhere in New Jersey. So that was pretty interesting. I got a little peek into that world. But I can imagine first responders you know, have to put on a certain kind of armor in order to get through the day and even to process the intensity of, of what they experience. Same with people in, in the military. I can only imagine that you, you must develop, put on, uh, present to the world a particular type of armor uh, just to, to get by and get through and to cope. But when they take off that armor, when re-entering the world, there must be some process of, of taking that off. Like what, what is that like and, and how do you work with that? Such a good question. You know, first and foremost, I think what came to mind when you were even just saying this is if you think about a kid that's getting bullied, you know, at a young age, and they start to put they start to put barriers on and I will call it armor. And over time it starts to get heavy. Well, take that. So even if you're not familiar with the military, think about maybe that situation or maybe uh, looking, you know, we nobody wants to look dumb. And you look dumb on your first day at work. So you start to put on a little bit of armor and try to make yourself like it didn't hurt you. And as a first responder and a veteran, you literally have to have that, especially, you know, cops and firefighters out on the street and, and veterans on on in combat, they have to complete their mission. And I think the armor starts young and it just keeps layering and layering and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier as time goes on. And whether you're a first responder that has to come home to your wife in the morning or at night or husband or children or take care of an elderly family member, or whether you're a veteran who served for 18 months overseas and now you gotta come back home, um, not only is that armor heavy when we're talking about the persona, the action you had to do, the adrenaline, but when you take it off, you feel naked, bare, and a lot of times very vulnerable. And so that is so much of the piece that I think yoga, meditation can help with, because again, it's, it's a bridge between everyday life. Life is always happening on life's terms. So whether you're talking about veterans or first responders that have to put armor on or just any person out in the world having to put armor on. I mean, we have to put armor on from the news right now. We put armor on from everything, right? Because it's like just affecting us. And taking it off is vulnerable, scary, and looking vulnerable as a first responder and veteran can be really scary. And a lot of times make you look weak, right? And so I think once we accept that the armor's heavy, it's okay to put it down and we can lighten up a little bit. Before we know it, right, the freedom of that lightness, it makes it harder to put the armor back on, if that makes sense. But there, it takes time to get there. And for me, you know, my armor started really young. <laughs> and I just kept putting it on, putting it on, putting it on. But the thing is, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's heavy. And over time, either if you don't, if you don't take it off, I mean, there's that saying again, if you don't take care of your body now, you'll take care of an illness later. I think of it the same with this armor. Right. If you don't, if you don't take it off, it's, it's going to drop you to your knees because it's so heavy. I like that image of a bridge and yoga and meditation being that bridge and the possibility of fortifying that bridge so that when you're putting it on, taking it off, you have more of a foundation to stand upon and a so more solid bridge that can take you between the two worlds or the multiple worlds that you're constantly coming in and out of. 
Oh, I love that you said that because I think about Tadasana pose and I think about your feet and I talk to all my first responders this way. I mean, you would never, if you have a shitty foundation, you know, your roof on your house is not going to be good. Your whole house isn't going to be good. And it's the same with our feet, right? It's the same with our every pose from the ground up, even if it's you sitting in your chair at work. If, you're, if your foundation's not good, the rest isn't going to be, and you're not going to stand tall. And it's it's so important for these veterans and first responders because over time, you know, we really have to have a good foundation mentally, emotionally, physically. You mentioned Save a Warrior. Tell us about that. You you participated in one of their events recently. I did. I went through, they call them cohorts and they're pretty phenomenal. It was zero one, four, five. Jake Clark is the founder. He's an awesome dude. He's uh, actually was out in Cali for a while. He was part of LAPD. I think he was secret service. He was a veteran, um, army veteran. He's an amazing human. Um, And he started it. And, you know, I I had talked to him a little bit about what to say when I came on here, because I really want to respect the cause because it's very powerful and he really asked me what, you know, what life was like before Save a Warrior and after. And something I haven't mentioned is a year ago, my brother was tragically killed um, in a very unfortunate accident. Mm. And, um, you know, I've, like I said, been someone who's been pretty in tune with being spiritually and physically healthy for a long time. And it took me down a really dark hole. <laughs> you know, I was still doing all these things and trying to process a lot of grief. And I like to say that I've numbed with a lot of things in my life. Um, I've numbed with food. I've numbed with alcohol. I've numbed with work. And after my brother passed, I was really numbing with alcohol. And I'd had a great friend. He was a SWAT officer and a cop that I had met through some yoga. I actually got him to go to Dan Nevin's class when Dan was here at one point, And that really woke him up to some good stuff. He ended up going to Save a Warrior, which is what SAW stands for. And he came back and he didn't say, Amber, you should go or anything like that. But I just could see a change in him. And I saw that Nick had peace from a lot of hell that he had been through. And so, you know, after about a year of drinking way too much after my brother died and being a very angry mom and wife and just going through the motions of life, I'm still a healer, still doing all these things I'm doing, giving out more than I'm giving myself. Um, One night I was drunk and I just went onto the website and applied because I'm like, this is not living. I'm dying. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing in in this world. And I texted my buddy, Nick immediately and said, I just registered for saw. And he said, I've been waiting for this call since the day your brother died. And ironically, Mm -hmm. Nick lost his mother-in-law tragically the day before my brother died. So a lot of um, what we would call and saw whales in the water, like things that were just there to guide me. But I learned a lot of tools that saw, I saw a lot about that I'm worthy that I'm supposed to be here and that I woke up to really live. And, you know, I've been meditating every day. I've always meditated, but I've not done it consistently. I've meditated every day since I've been out of Save a Warrior. And I feel better than I have in a long time. And so it's it's a powerful organization. Um, if there's any veteran or first responder out there that even has a question, I mean, you know, it's, suicide is a big talk. It's, it's, and, and I will say, I, I don't know that I was always suicidal, but I thought about it. Um, and even if you're not suicidal and you need help, it's a, 
it's free. There's, you know, there's people that work really hard. And I think the seat costs something like $3,300 a person. And there's a lot of people that are out there funding it so that warriors can live and not want to die. I'm sorry to hear that about your brother. That's thanks. That's sad. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thanks. I mean, it, it, he he was 39. He lived a hell of a life, and something he taught me was that he he worked his butt off, but he lived his life. And so it's as tragic as it is, um, it's also a part of life, and a lot of people suffer from losing someone. So, thank you. I watched the video on the homepage of Save a Warrior, and uh, it it will bring tears to your eyes. It, it, it seems like <laughs> a powerful and organization and what they're doing seems quite incredible. It is. You probably see people who are at different stages of being in that dark hole that you mentioned. What typically is your message to them? I know that will vary obviously based on who they are and and where they're at in their journey, but to anyone maybe listening who is resonating deeply with being in a dark hole, like what typically is is your message and how do you recommend people navigate through that? I think I said already, I'm, I'm aggressive. <laughs> so I'm usually the person that's like, you need to go to this, you know, like shake, shake someone and be like, go do this. And as, as I've seen throughout the years, that doesn't, a lot of people are like basically F you not, no. Mm-hmm. Um, I've found now and through years of practicing yoga and just being still that, me living in my true self and doing the work that I'm doing is the biggest way to exemplify that number one. But number two, it's funny that you said you probably see people in different stages and a lot of people like in my head, when I think about someone who's suicidal, I think of someone who's alone in a dark place, literally like they're in a dark room or they're not coming out of their house. Maybe just some picture that I've had in my head. And that's so not true for so many people, right? It's the person who's always happy, who is putting on a front and then going home and suffering. It's the person who comes off as angry at the world and we have no idea what they're struggling with. It's the person who, um, you know, is, is obsessing over something and we just want to shake it out of them and tell them you're freaking out about nothing. And once I can catch myself trying to control somebody else because of what's happening and stop and just see like, whoa, you know, there's a deeper reason here that they're angry, sad, lonely, tired. There's, there's a deeper reason. Um, and just asking people like, how are you? I've learned to really listen to my intuition and I don't know about you, but I can feel it from a mile away. When someone walks in a room, I know, (laughs) you know, you, you know, by their posture, you know, by the way they're looking typically if what they're, what's coming out of their mouth and what you see and feel is actually aligning. And, I found, especially the first responders, you just, you can't force it. Although I, I have a hard time not trying to say you should do this because I want all my friends that are first responders or veterans to go through Save a Warrior. I want all of them to see how important, valuable, and amazing they are and how important it is for them to not only live like they were about to die, but live fully and they're already in service, right? These people already sign up to serve. And I don't know if you know this, but they say that like 80% of the volunteer funds and, and work from the United States comes from veterans and first responders, which I found really interesting. You know, they're some of the most generous voluntary people in the world. 
um, but just to show them that they can be even more of service if they take care of themselves. I didn't know that. I probably didn't give the same, the right number, but I know it's a, you can look it up. It's pretty, it's a big, it's a big one. After having gone through save a warrior, is there something that you now take from that, that you bring into how you teach your yoga classes? I would say, you know, the meditation has been big and I'm a power yoga teacher. I teach I rest too, but I pretty much teach a lot of power vinyasa. Something that I've really taken from it is just meeting the room where it's at. So I'm not a big planner. I, I usually go off what comes out when anyways, I'm not a, someone that plans ahead for their class. I come in, I teach whatever's there, but even more now, um, I find that because I'm centered, because I've been meditating, because I'm calmer, because I'm slowing down, even though I'm not perfect and the underlying amber is still going to pop up, right? Um, mm -hmm. I find that me being more present is really allowing other people to be more present, right? Just us being in our being of just acceptance allows others to feel accepted. And so I've seen that and I know 100% it's, it's from that. And a lot of things that they gave us to take away from save a warrior of all of it. They said, if, if nothing else, do the meditation and they call it warrior meditation. Um, and I'll tell you what it's, I've been doing it with my children. My husband's done it with me and I've caught my daughter fall asleep. She'll be doing it with me. And within five minutes, it's about 20 minutes long. She'll fall asleep. And I realized, you know, she's only six years old, but but I realized how much she needed rest and she probably wasn't resting because of whatever was going on in her little mind. Mm. And so it's, it's been a blessing. And even in teaching yoga, I teach my kids yoga. My son's playing football. I'm trying to teach him how to be flexible because he's not flexible in his mind and body. Right. <laughs> and, um, I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it's not just the body. And again, I'll go back to that because I forced and forced and forced through the military physically and through the firefighting physical, 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 the body keeps the score. Eventually you realize there's more, you gotta, you gotta get the mind and the breath on board with the body. And so I feel like finally, and I've known this, I'm sure you can, I don't know if you can relate, but I've known forever. I need to sit and meditate, <laughs> but it was always like the last thing I was like, I'm not going to do it. Not today. I'll do it tomorrow. And uh, that's not an option anymore. After save a warrior, it's not an option. I know that my lifeline depends on that meditation. Yeah, I find if I can create the conditions and cultivate the conditions such that I'm quiet enough, I, I know intuitively what it is that I need to do in any given day or any given moment. And it's just a matter of quieting that background noise and, and really listening. And you're right, there, there are certain things that I just know my body needs. And if I don't do them, there are going to be consequences. Warrior meditation, what, if, if you're able to share, what is it and, and how do you do it yourself? Do they have audio guides? Is it, is there a particular structure to the meditation? Gosh, I, there is yes. And there's, you can do it all on your own. You don't have to listen to anything, but I will tell you that I don't want to um, screw this up. So I'm just going to give you my, um, <laughs> keep it simple, stupid version. Like we like to say in the military kiss, keep it simple, but, nice. um, the, there's three phases. The first phase is, um, I want to say it's called the metacognition phase, but I don't have this in front of me, but basically your finger tapping, right? So, uh, and we say, ah, uh, va, ah, uh, va. 
and that's for six and a half minutes. And then the next six and a half minutes is the breath phase. So we're inhaling ah, exhaling va, and all in my head. And sometimes I'm, you know, saying inhale, exhale, but that's for the next six and a half minutes. And the last six and a half minutes, um, you know, it's really just about like typically you don't have to worry because typically by those last six six and a half minutes, I'm I'm good because the whole thing, and I again don't want to say this wrong, but warrior meditation specifically, and that's why we're doing these things first, is to get right the brain out of the processing thinking mode and to get you into the space of being able to meditate truly. So those last last couple of minutes are really where for me the magic happens. Um and I can get you more information on this because I feel like I, I'm practicing it every day, but I'm not an expert on all the details. And I do actually have a, a printout that I can send to you. But, um, you know, it does have pieces of um, TM, I believe, like um, TM meditation. But um, Jake Clark is really, he's, he's amazing. He's just studied a lot of different things. And this is really what um, they've trademarked as warrior meditation. So it's really, it's beautiful and it works. So I at least do that at least once a day. And then if I can get another 5, 10, 15, 20 minute meditation at some point throughout the day, it's an extra bonus. But I also try to move my body and get outside every day. And, you know, so there's different forms, but that one is like a non-negotiable for me for sure. You mentioned the magic happens towards the end. Like what is typically kind of happening for you in those moments? Um I'm finally out of my thoughts. I'm finally not fighting coming back. I'm finally completely, I, I feel my body resting. I feel my truest being, right? And I feel like I'm at home in my body for the for a few minutes. Even if it's the last one minute or 30 seconds, I'm I'm at home in my body. And sometimes I do. I, I'm I'm caught in my thoughts the first 18 minutes of the meditation or, and I keep having to bring myself back to my breath, bring myself back to the ava, bring myself back to a stream that I'm looking at, you know, but by the end and sometimes even just coming out of it, it takes, it's like that still did something there, but it's, it's quieting the chatter, shutting my eyes off. And I, you know, we have these five senses. They're amazing. We process 40 to 60,000 thoughts a day, but every time my eyes are open, I'm processing, processing, processing. And as soon as just even, even if I'm just shutting my eyes for those 20 minutes, there's magic happening in my brain because it gets to rest from all the things I'm seeing. That's beautiful. Can you tell us about your studio? Yes. So the wonder within, I'm actually here right now. I have a beautiful mandala that a friend painted yeah, behind me. I love, um, I love that background. <laughs> Yeah, she just freehanded it, Erin Suman. She's amazing. Really? Um, oh, yeah. It's pretty. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so to be honest, I kind of put on a vision board <laughs> in like 2006, the wonder lies within, this was the original name. So my maiden name was Wonderly. Amber Wonderly was my name. And so the wonder lies within was my original like tag name. And this was when... You know, again, I was in the military, going to go be a firefighter. Like I just had this vision of a wellness center. And if you're someone that believes in vision boards, or even if not, it's funny because what I drew, um, the 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 shape of the building that I drew was actually a, the first wonder within. It looked just like it on the outside, so it's oh, funny. Wow. But it didn't happen for yeah, it didn't happen for many years later, 2016 to be exact, like 10 years later. But 
my vision, you know, has had changed because I wasn't a yoga teacher when I first envisioned. I just did massage. And in it was about a, a, two years after I had left the fire service, my husband kept saying, like, you you have this dream, you have this passion, you love, you know, you love wellness, just open up a wellness center. And I really had his support and he was a small business owner. Again, my dad was a small business owner. So I wasn't scared to do it. I just, I guess I was like, I left this career to be with my family. And if I start a business, you know, my husband really was a big pusher for me. He was, he's definitely a biggest fan of mine. So I went ahead and opened it. And at the time it, we just had like we didn't even have yoga at first because I was building the studio. I just had massage and I did wellness events. Um, and then I had like juices and just all kinds of essential oils and natural things that we sold. But mainly it was, I was hosting like vendor nights with all things health and wellness. And I knew at that time I was already a yoga teacher that I wanted to be into fire departments teaching. So that had kind of started, I kind of started doing free yoga for veterans and first responders at my studio, which we still do. Um, but it took years. I mean, I opened in 2016. We're now at 2021. Um, I since I'm in a, a, my third location. We had two at one point, but I'm in my third building, I should say. So we're in Delaware, Ohio. We moved from a smaller location into here, where we have two very nice, big size rooms here, um, and we do massage. We I do massage, I should say. We teach yoga and wellness. We have awesome, fun workshops and events. And but our biggest thing, truly, is we are at fire departments every day of the week teaching yoga on site. So this is our hub. I like to think of it as a really nice community and home. I like to think of cheers because truly everybody that comes here, people, everybody knows everybody's name. <laughs> it's not a <laughs> yoga class that you come into. You don't know people. Everybody knows each other. Um, our attention's pretty amazing. We don't, you know, I wouldn't say that we're the most happening, busy studio anywhere, but I would say that our people stay and it's a beautiful community. And you have classes online as well, right? We do. We, you know, we've dialed up and down throughout the COVID. Um, but I have some links that I'd be happy to share with you to put on your, on the, onto this, if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you just list, uh, so list your website and then whatever other links you want to list right now. We'll also put those in the show notes. Okay, cool. So, well, my website's thewonderwithin.com and you can um, see kind of all the pieces that we do there. And then I'll add the links I'm going to have to text you to or send them to you. They're just some YouTube links I can share. Cool. Yeah. I'm looking at the photo on your homepage. It looks like a beautiful space. Thank you. It is gorgeous. It's actually a really cool story. It's an old barn here in town that at one time in 1890s um, had horses hmm. and they delivered the milk all around the city. So um, it's a very old building with a lot of history. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It looks like it. If I were to open up a, a public facing space, that's what it would look like. In fact, our <laughs> the spaces that we've had where we have hosted uh, public classes tended to look very similar. That's awesome. They were never a barn, but they, they certainly they have a similar look with the, the vaulted ceilings and the large beams and the brick. And I love the concrete floor. It's beautiful. Thank you. It's it's it holds the heat well when we do heated classes. What does the future hold for you and what's next? Yeah, what's next? Well, I, I like to think of that there's a lot of wonder in it. So I don't, I think about what I want, but I know that there's going to be awesome uh, miracles coming to me with it. So, you know, in this last year, since my brother's passed away, uh, family's really become such a priority to me. And my husband 
and I have really decided that we want to focus our business model, whatever that looks like with the wonder within kind of morphing with our family. And we love nature. Our children love nature. That's where we love to spend time with them a lot. And so we would really like to do um, nature retreats together, adventure retreats together. And I've really been doing a lot of public speaking. And to be honest, it's it's a place where I had dreams as a kid speaking. I didn't realize that that was where I would end up. But I, again, just like I've said a couple of times here, I think everything I've done in my life has led me to exactly where I am. So I'm excited to see, but my husband and I would definitely like to travel and, you know, bring awareness to ourselves, to not just me, myself, like to the human people, like how we can connect into ourselves and connect to each other better once we've connected to ourselves. So that's really a big part of our mission. And although he's not a yoga teacher, he is a very um, fun spirited nature guy and he's got the nature piece and just love to be outside. Nice. I look forward to that launching. Is that imminent? Is it coming soon or is it pretty far off? I hope, I, I hope it's coming soon. I think it <laughs> is. We, I think it is <laughs> sooner than later. I, I am hosting a outdoor um, retreat at the end of October and he's going to be helping me with that. So we'll see how that goes. Cool. Well, the world needs more of that. And I, I wish you all the success with that venture. Thanks so and much. If you'd like, once it does launch, if there's a different website, you can send that to us and we'll update the show notes to include that, the link. Awesome. Thank you. So Amber, what is your one non-negotiable when it comes to self-care? What is it that you just have to do on a regular basis that nourishes you or fills your cup? Yeah, I think for sure. I think of two things, but I, I know that before I would have told you, you know, before Save a Warrior, I would have said hundred percent nature. It's where I connect to my kids. It's where I get off of all my electronics. It's where I feel the most at home. Meditation is something that's a non-negotiable every single day of my life. And so is being outdoors, even if it's for 10 minutes outside, um, because it really allows me to escape the confines of all the things surrounding me. And it allows me to see that it's so much bigger out there than what I think in my head at times. It's uh, beautiful. Yeah. I've somewhat similar, I need a nature hit as frequently as possible. There's something very grounding about it. It's the place to be. I love that. Mm -hmm. Is there anything as we're winding down here, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to cover? Oh, I think we covered it. I just, yeah, I just really appreciate this opportunity to be on here. It's, it's been really fun. And I, you know, just going back to Robert, I mean, he's, he's just such an awesome dude. And, you know, there's people throughout your life where you realize, and, and Dan Nevins too, is a dear friend of mine. It's, you're connected on purpose. And sometimes we don't even know how big that purpose is. And I know that I'll work with both of them again, but it's just a blessing. And so I just appreciate this and, and them. That's a beautiful way to end it. Thank you, Amber. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. Yes, it was. I appreciate it. Thank you to our entire team behind the scenes at GLOW. I'm so grateful for your care and commitment to serving our members around the world. Thank you to our teachers for so beautifully sharing your gifts and talents. I'm also grateful to our lovely community of GLOW members. You've supported us since 2008, and because of you, we get to continue to do the work we love. It's the combined support of our team, our teachers, and our community that grants me the privilege to continue to bring you the GLOW podcast. Thank you to Lee Schneider, our Red Cub Agency, for production support. 
And the beautiful music you're hearing now is by Carrie Rodriguez and her husband, Luke Jacobs. And remember, take care of yourself because our world needs you. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. You can find The Glow Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or glo.com slash podcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Derek Mills.